Hello and welcome to the Vivo Life Show. I'm your host, Josh Boulding, the co-founder of the plant-based health and fitness supplement company, Vivo Life. And I'm joined today by a good friend, an amazing nutritionist, Lou. But here's a twist. She's not the usual nutritionist, Lou, that comes on our podcast. We just like to shake things up and, and call all the nutritionist Lou's that we know. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Elizabeth Yardley. Uh, she's a returning guest on the podcast. She was a, a wonderful guest when Tori was, was hosting the show. And I'm delighted to welcome her back to talk all things veganuary, plant-based pledge. Going vegan in 2021 might be the best thing you can do for your health and for the planet. So we're going to debunk and answer some of the most common questions we've received through new vegans through our plant-based community this year. Lou, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's um, virtual these days, as most podcasts are, but it's um, it's it's a yeah, it's a blessing to be able to do this and and hopefully answer some of those most common questions that come up for people that are new to a plant-based diet, or maybe people that have been following a plant-based diet for a while and are looking to optimize their nutrition and really looking to, to dial things in for 2021. You know, we're, we're here in January in the UK, we're back in lockdown, but what, a be what better opportunity to really take charge of your health, uh, really lock in your diet for the new year and build those healthy and sustainable habits that are going to set you on course for a really, really strong and successful year ahead. Um, so Lou, if you don't mind, I want to go through some of the, the most common questions we've had this year on our Facebook community, and hopefully with your expertise, we're going to answer them all. Awesome, fire away. Wicked, okay, so let me pull up these notes. So we're going to start with uh, one which came up a couple of times actually, um, and that was, will I get enough iron on a plant-based diet? Uh, so yeah, let's kick it off, go. So first off, short answer, yes. Hmm. Um, but everyone is individual and requirements are different depending on um, certain things like uh, menstruating women require higher amounts of iron a day. So a, men, a man would require about like 8.7 milligrams a day, whereas a woman actually requires 14.8. So it's actually quite a bit higher wow. because the uh, blood loss will um, mean like the more iron you need essentially and um, you may have heard that there are two forms of iron there's heme and non-heme so the heme iron originates from animal sources and non-heme is mostly from plant sources but um, non-heme is like just as great to get for your diet there's no reason that you need to be getting heme iron essentially <laughs> and um, sources of Plant-based non-heme iron will be things like pumpkin seeds, dried apricots, beans, um, spinach, lentils, tofu, cashew nuts, hemp seeds, black seeds. There's, the list could go on. There's so many options out there. So it's, if you're concerned or worried, you can either do a quick Google search and um, look all those things up. Or um, on the PVP website, I know there is a section on iron and an infographic that can show you the sources and how much each contains. Um, but it's also important to know about varying factors that can affect the absorption of iron in your diet. So certain things may be like tannins and oxalates. Um, so for example, tannins. Um, this is a substance which is found in foods and drinks, for example, tea and coffee. So what tannins can do, it can inhibit the amount of iron your body can absorb. So 
a simple solution to something like that would be just don't drink tea and coffee with your meals. Have a bit of a gap, maybe like a half hour, hour to ensure that you're getting like the most out of your food. Mm-hmm. So on the other hand, there actually are beneficial things that can enhance the amount of iron that you can absorb from your foods. And one of those is <clears throat> vitamin C. So uh, vitamin C enhances the non-heme iron absorption. So therefore, an example of that would be squeezing some lemon juice over your cooked spinach will vastly like, enhance the absorption that you'll be able to get of iron into your diet. Amazing. Um, yeah, <laughs> sorry, I have lots of things that can um, contribute and change to it. Well, I don't want to overcomplicate it too much, but uh, the answer basically is yes. <laughs> well, it's, it's really good to know because I think, you know, for the general person, these, these extra factors, so when it comes to things, mm. the, the tannins and the vitamin C, probably, probably won't even be an issue, you know, because um, like you said, it, it's pretty easy to get enough iron on a plant-based diet. However, definitely. Uh, if you are concerned, if you have had your iron levels tested and looking a bit low, or if, if you've had issues with iron absorption in the past, uh, then these are definitely some, some really valuable tips. I think uh, the tannins one is one that catches a lot of people out, actually, because it's you know very, very easy on your, on your lunch break to make a coffee, sit down with your lunch. Um, you can eat what you think is an iron rich meal and, and actually, um, you know, you're negating a lot of that. It, um, it's shown that, that tannins can actually reduce the iron absorption by up to 90%, which is obviously really significant. And mm, taking yeah. tea or a coffee with, with two meals out of your three a day, then, then that's going to see your iron levels or your iron absorption plummet. Uh, one thing that, that does catch people out is, unfortunately, tannins are also found in dark chocolate. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it does maybe mean waiting uh, an hour or, or two for that little chocolate fix after your dinner if it's something that that you know you're looking to get uh, I know personally for me I like to finish dinner with with something sweet and and you know <laughs> can be a bit a bit painful to to wait but um yeah again you know for for the average person this this probably isn't an issue to can be considered anyway um and you mentioned as well heme versus non-heme iron now talk to me a little bit about like how they're regulated by the body because I know um, when it comes to heme iron, you can act, it's actually you know quite dangerous if you have too much. Is that the same with non-heme iron, or you know are there are there different factors in play? Um, it's not it's not as much um, the same because heme iron is actually more easily absorbed in the body, so that's why it's easier to overdo it. Whereas non-heme, um, you probably have to eat a little bit more to um, like you'd have to eat quite a lot more to be able to reach the same levels as that. However, it's actually really interesting. Those that eat more of a plant-based or vegetarian vegan diet, um, the body slowly becomes more adapted to be able to absorbing like the right quantities of the non-heme iron and the uptake of non-heme iron actually goes up, hmm. which is really interesting. Um, That's really cool. But yeah, it's not something to be concerned about. Yeah, we are remarkably adaptable creatures, right? And I think we will we we learn to thrive on whatever diet that that we're that we're eating. And that goes to show when you see people, you know, in in like the far far north northern climates eating a diet that's mainly animal based products, to all the way to the blue zones where they're eating a lot of plant based. And it just shows the rich diversity in the human diet and how we can yeah, exactly. adapt and thrive to to so many different things. And um, yeah, so that I never knew that actually that that improves. So that's fantastic. 
Mm. And also, I think when it's uh, when it comes to iron, I think it's important to note and just remind everyone: if you are worried about your iron levels um, and you're maybe experiencing some of the common um, symptoms of deficiency, like fatigue and dizziness, please do go to your doctor first to get it checked. Don't just order an iron supplement off the internet because um, an overuse of iron supplements can cause like a potential you know, adverse effect. So check your levels before you getting, start getting some uh, supplements online, which you don't really understand. But this isn't the case for when it's like multivitamins because multivitamins, their iron is usually at a really safe level in conjunction with, you know, nice balance of other nutrients. Wicked, yeah, and that's a, that's a really important point to note as well. Um, and that kind of takes us back to when we were formulating the, the vegan multinutrient, when we included the iron, we deliberately did that at a, a much lower dose. Um, mm. So because, you know, you are obviously going to get iron in from, from food and we wanted just to have what is going to be a sensible daily maintenance dose on top of the iron that you're already getting through your things like yeah, exactly. seeds, all of these, all of these amazing different sources, which you should be eating anyway, you know? Um, so yeah, that's brilliant. Exactly. Cool. Okay. So question number two is how do I eat carb-based without overdoing the carbs? Okay. So first off, um, let's remind everyone that carbs aren't bad. They're not going to be worrying about. Um, we've had so many years of this, of diet culture telling us to cut out carbs or carbs make you fat. Da, da, da. But like, remember carbs um, provide your body with energy and not just your body, but you know, your brain, your organs. Um, so that's just to remind everyone of that. Thank Carbs you. And the devil. <laughs> my, my job. Maybe we end it there. <laughs> um, then going a bit more into it. So not all carbs are the same. You have simple carbohydrates and complex carbohydrates. Simple carbohydrates are broken down quickly, causing a spike in blood uh, sugar levels, and then they all dip. And then you have the starchy complex carbs, which are more um, gradually releasing the glucose into your body providing a nice steady stream of energy and nutrients. So depending on um, the person or the activities you get up to, um, the levels of simple and complex carbs will uh, differ. Like if you compare, say, <clears throat> um, a sprinter versus a marathon runner, they're going to have different requirements. So everyone has different requirements at the end of the day and everybody is uh, unique. Um, but that's think about um, balancing meals just generally rather than athletes. Okay, so you have such a wide range of carbs, um, but remember carbs are not just pure glucose. They come with so many other um, elements, so many nutrients. So you'll have, you know, like your grains, your vegetables, fruits, legumes, you know, they're not just pure carbohydrates. They have calcium, iron, B vitamins, and so many other phytonutrients so you can't like really just lump things into just one group uh, of carbs because it comes with such a great array of other elements um, and when it comes into balancing things like meals you're going to be, want to incorporate um, fats and proteins into meals so you know I always think about a, a healthy diet being variety and balance so therefore I aim to have, you know, a variety of colour, but also balance my protein and fat sources in my meal. Um, and this not only is going to contribute to, 
you know, good health, but it also leaves you feeling satiated and feeling good after each meal. Um, so an example um, of a balanced breakfast per se would be um, if, you're, if you're into smoothies. So you could have the carbohydrate sources being like banana and frozen fruit. Then you can have protein sources in there, which can be, you know, your protein powders or even frozen peas, which is an ingredient I really love having in my smoothies. And um, fat sources being, you know, seeds or nut butter. So it's actually fairly easy to think about it in that sense if you want to kind of simplify it. You're thinking, okay, what have I got from this group? What have I got from that group? What have I got from that group? So it's fairly easy once you get the hang of it. So for like um, a savory, like a lunch, if you're going to get have like a nice hearty salad, you can have um, foods that are a combination of carbohydrates and protein, like quinoa, uh, tempeh and roast vegetables like broccoli. Um, and then you can have your fat sources like avocado and cashew-based dressing uh, for the fat. Um, you get the idea. So essentially, it's unlikely that you'll be overdoing the carbs if you're striving for um, variety in, you know, with the fat and the protein and the colours and all the vegetables. I think that's that's a really beautiful way to look at it because there's such a, I see this in nutrition all the time and that's like there's such a, a reductionist approach when it comes to nutrients. It's kind of like, oh, eat this for your carbs, eat this for your protein, eat this for your vitamin C. And actually, you know, foods and specifically plant-based foods don't work like that. You know, there's, no, there's exactly. so many foods that have such a such a range of, of nutrients, both macronutrients like protein, carbs and fats. Um, and then also, you know, your micronutrients too. And, and the best advice I could give to someone, you know, whether you're new to a plant-based diet or you've been doing it for years is just that variety. Like you said, just get those colors in, get those different food groups in. I typically refer to um, like the six major food groups before, before you even start looking at protein and fat, because, um, you know, if you're, if you're eating your legumes, your whole grains, your fruits, your vegetables, your nuts and your seeds every day, then you're going to get a really good balance in essential fats plant-based protein and complex carbohydrates anyway and the numbers will start to take care of themselves now of course if if you have specific uh, athletic goals or physique goals or something then that can be the time when you know adjusting your numbers can come into play uh, however again there's been like you said there's been a lot of fear when it comes to carbohydrates and, and actually they are a really really high quality energy source and our body needs them our brain needs them and you know, it's, it's more a case of, well, where are those carbs coming from? Are you getting your carbs from black beans or are you getting them from jelly beans? You know, it's like a very, <laughs> yeah, exactly. very different kind of thing. So, so yeah, that's an important point to note, but I think you smashed it there. You know, if you're, if you're making, getting that variety into your diet, then it's probably not something you should worry about. Uh, so yeah, big thumbs up. <laughs> okay. Let's keep going then. So, how do I deal with bloating on, well, I just said, how do I deal with bloating? So I don't know if that's on a vegan diet or in, in general. So maybe we can look at both. Yeah. Um, well, I guess for some people I've definitely heard that when they're transitioning to a plant-based diet in the early stages, they do um, sometimes experience bloating. And this can be because of the increase of fiber intake, um, which the digestive system is just simply not used to yet. Um, so it's understandable why some people maybe experiencing it. But there are a few um, tactics and ways that we can try combat this. So there'll be parts like um, ensuring that your legumes are cooked properly. So if you're um, cooking your legumes 
from dry beans, like you would soak them properly overnight and cook them thoroughly. Because even if they're just slightly undercooked, that can um, really induce bloating. Um, and then for your vegetables, you maybe want to opt for cooked vegetables rather than like a high volume of raw veg because the, the fiber in the raw vegetables and the, um, the structure of the raw veg can actually cause more bloating um, in comparison to cooked vegetables. It's easier for the body to digest. Um, and I know it may sound silly, but you know, we need to make sure we're chewing our food thoroughly and like properly and mindfully. So those that eat a bit slower and chew um, more are less likely to experience this possibly because if you're eating fast, you're not breaking down the food properly in your mouth and you also might be swallowing some air whilst you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, another tip is make sure you're hydrated throughout the day and also if you can try spread out the high fiber foods and your consumption throughout the day which can also um, really help combat that um, and other things um, people might find helpful are some herbal teas like peppermint or ginger that can really like help soothe after meals Love it. Yeah. And agree with all of those points. And, and maybe a couple that I'll add to is um, just just being mindful of that fiber intake, especially if you're if you're new to a plant based diet, you know, and you're going from eating mostly animal based products that are, that are low fiber or no fiber, going into eating loads of lentils and beans, especially if you're trying to meet a certain protein requirement, then your fiber intake can go from, you know, the average, which is about 20, 25 grams, it can go 50, 60, upwards of 70 grams per day. Mm. That's going to be a lot for your gut flora to handle. Uh, you know, regardless of how strong your digestive system is, your, your gut flora is going to need some time to adapt. So one thing Agreed, I would say yeah. is, is just, yeah, increase that fiber slowly. You know, fiber is, is, a, is a fantastic nutrient. It's so, so good for us, but it's not something we can just sort of ramp up overnight. So typically what I like to do is, you know, increase that fiber intake slowly, maybe by five to 10 grams per week. Um, you know, in, introduce those higher fiber foods like your your beans and your lentils and these kind of things in a little slower uh, to help with the transition. Foods like um, tofu, obviously, you know, white rice and pasta and these kind of foods that are lower fiber. Uh, there's plenty of lower fiber veg as well. Pumpkin's a really good example. Um, using things like, you know, like a romaine lettuce versus like a, you know, like a hot, more hardy green like kale. Um, mm. the, these can be really good ways to just let your body adapt. And as you, as you start bringing in those, those higher fiber foods, then it'll give your body time to, yeah, bring those, bring those in. Um, yeah, I completely agree. That's a really good point. Wicked. And then, then the other one I would say as well is um, obviously going back to those beans, you mentioned kind of cooking them properly from mm. scratch, which is, which is a big, big thing. You know, I think, um, yeah, if, if they're not cooked properly, it can cause some, some issues. Um, now, I know that, that some people seem to find that, uh, especially if you're getting them from a can, then like really washing them and really rinsing them can just help to remove those compounds that can cause the bloating. Um, I know a lot of the time, you know, especially when I'm traveling, which I'm not doing now, um, but when I'm, when I'm traveling, like, you know, I don't always have time to cook sort of beans and, and stuff from scratch and I'll use a can and, and, you know, they'll come in this like really rich juice and I want to make sure that I'm really rinsing that off properly. Uh, getting those getting that that liquid off before I cook them just to make sure that you know I'm reducing that any sort of bloating that may happen um so yeah couple couple bonus tips from JB (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. And also um, another thing, if you're, you know, taking all these things into into action and like, like, doing all these tips and you're still finding your bloating, um, it could just be that you might have some trigger foods which your digestion mm -hmm. isn't just like accustomed to yet. So maybe if you find that chickpeas bloat you, maybe try white beans instead. Or if, you know, you have a hard time digesting onions, maybe just try a couple of weeks without them. So you can maybe notice and see like what these trigger foods are. And usually they might be something really easy that you can just swap for something else like, you know, chickpeas for white beans. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a good way to track that is keeping some sort of food journal or food diary, because then, mm -hmm. you know, it may not always be the food that you've just eaten in that immediate meal. It may be something that you've had, you know, earlier that day or something, and it can be harder to, to find this trigger food. Mm -hmm. but, you know, by keeping some sort of food diary, you can look back on the days where you were, you were feeling bloated and then just see if you can find any of those common culprits. Uh, so that's a really, really good way to do it. Um, yeah, definitely. And the last thing that, that I will add as well, and this is kind of something that, that goes into like any kind of digestive issue, whether it's bloating or um, gas or constipation or whatever is, is just checking out other lifestyle factors. You know, stress is a huge, huge contributor to any kind of digestive issues. And if you're, um, you know, if you're suffering from, for any kind of, of mental stress that actually is directly impacting your gut health and, I see a lot of people, you know, worrying about their food they're eating to the nth degree. And in the meantime, they're stressed out of their head. And that's just causing massive, massive digestive discomfort anyway. So, yeah, that's so true. checking out those, um, mm. those lifestyle factors, just making sure that yeah. stress is something that you're managing through exercise, time in nature, meditation, whatever works for you is, is a really you know, smart way mm. to, to get that back on track mm. as well. Yeah, exactly. Should I worry about oxalates on a plant-based diet? Okay, so for those who don't uh, know what oxalates are, I briefly mentioned them earlier. So they're um, part of the organic group of compounds that are found in plants, and um, they combine to particular minerals that when you consume them, for example, calcium, and then they form this compound called calcium oxalate. Um, so this essentially means that it's, uh, the oxalates are bound to the calcium and your body cannot... Um, utilize that calcium um, and many people are like fine with you know the your body forming the uh, calcium oxalate and it's just excreted like uh, through your stool or your urine it's nothing usually um, to worry about however uh, those are sensitivities like the people who may be prone to kidney stones a high oxalate diet can increase risk of kidney stones so um, those who are more sensitive maybe want to be a bit more mindful and maybe just get familiar with what kind of foods have high oxalates in them. For example, there are uh, like beetroot greens, rhubarb, spinach, chard and kale. So these foods, not necessarily they have to completely cut out if you're worried about oxalates, but learn about um, how maybe to reduce them and a way to reduce the amount of oxalates within these foods have actually been shown to be bought by boiling them. So if you're going to be eating these foods, like boiling them and cooking them properly will reduce and break down the oxalates in that food. But as I said, for the average person, oxalates shouldn't generally be um, a point of concern. Um, and if you are, maybe like up your calcium content to counteract that if you are worried about your calcium. You mentioned um, 
boiling the vegetables is is steaming okay or other cooking methods okay or is it specifically boiling that that is needed yeah all of them are okay but um i've seen a comparison somewhere like of the um oxalate levels and apparently boiling does reduce the oxalates best however steaming and all the other ones that do still reduce it um i guess and i guess it's like weighing up um what nutrients you want to um, maintain because obviously when you boil food you're more likely to reduce the amount of um, water soluble vitamins like vitamin c so it is about weighing things up at the end of the day like if you are someone who is concerned about oxalates and you're prone to kidney stones you might want to um, go for the, the best option of like boiling it or steaming it for a long time whereas if you're not someone who worries about it steaming might be a better option because you'll be able to maintain the other vitamins wicked yeah and just um just some a little bit of common sense as well like you may you may not want to throw in like loads and loads of handfuls of, of raw spinach into a smoothie um uh, exactly <laughs> maybe better just to to steam some because you'll be able to get a much greater quantity um, yeah and, um, well, what I do sometimes um, is I just cook up a batch of greens, so like spinach and kale, and um, I might either, like once they're wilted down, I'll put them into like the ice cube tray, and mm. then I will have, the, I'll freeze them, and then I can pop them into my smoothies, and it's a really easy way to have your greens already steamed without them making your smoothie warm. Perfect, yeah, good shot. Talk to me about fake meats. I have a question here that says, are fake meats healthy? Now that's that's probably uh, quite a broad brush of a question, but mm. um, yeah, let's touch on them a little bit. Yeah, so this one like is up for debate. More so, um, it, it depends because, you know, what there's a definition of healthy, which mm. is what's healthy for what's one a, person. What's the definition of, of fake meat as well? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And also like all plant-based meats, you know, on the market, it's so vast now, it is kind of hard to put them in the same category. Yep. Um, so you might have ones that are made of pea protein and other bean proteins. Um, and then there are other ones that are made of like soy protein isolate, and wheat gluten, Satan options. So depending on the person, you might maybe have a sensitivity to one of those things. You could be celiac, so obviously Satan is a no-no. Um, but then the next person, they could feel completely fine on it. Um, so circling back to the question, are they healthy? Um, it's hard to answer because maybe, okay, do I think fake meats can be healthier than animal products? Yes, but uh, it depends on the product and the individual and their health goals. Um, so if you're trying to look at it more from a, like a nutrition perspective, Majority of fake meats are likely to be lower in calories and they're cholesterol free. However, you might come into um, contact when you see, look at the shops, you might find some of them are really high in sodium or they might contain, you know, added sugars and preservatives. Um, so it, you know, it, it's hard to put them in one to one category. Um, and also everyone's ability to digest these foods and the way they make them feel will vary a lot. However, I do think that fake meats are a really good option for those who are transitioning from a very meat-heavy diet and are still having those cravings of those that with flavors and textures. Mm. And you know, every once in a while, um, to have you know, like a, a burger with a plant-based um, 
quality inside it um made from home rather than the double bacon cheeseburger from a fast food chain like that's definitely going to be the healthier option um but like today like we have so many plant-based versions that taste identical but are completely plant-based and um again when we say like what is healthy i think it is important to incorporate um foods that you eat purely for pleasure you know you there's no point in being so strict and like so focused on you know the, the pure health of everything if you're not enjoying eating and if you know you're not um if you can't go to like a family barbecue in the summer and you feel like oh you're just sitting there eating your salad like there's so many parts to being healthy enjoyment around food is really important as well at the end of the day so a plant-based version of um you know your your one of your old favorites maybe that is like i think is great for people to have the option of could not agree more absolutely agree and a fun way to reframe this question rather than saying our fate meat's healthy it's just saying you know well here are some healthy options of meat replacements you know because mm. you know, a lot of people that that do crave especially if you're new to a plant-based diet i typically find the, the longer you've been doing this thing the, the less you'll be craving those foods anyway but it's nice to have those options right so um a couple of things that are like super healthy options and the great as meat alternatives are tofu and tempeh um you know yeah, they're really um you know easy to replicate those kind of flavors and and textures of meat uh, especially with the right seasoning and the right cooking methods they can they can go a long way you know um i don't think anyone really misses the taste of chicken because it was never <laughs> food that really had anything but tofu is like pretty much par for par on that in terms of like the texture and the flavors you can recreate uh tempeh is a bit kind of meatier and works really well as like maybe a replacement for bacon you could do it with like a nice smoky flavor and pan fry it um or you could do it you know chop it up really finely and use it as like a mince meat perhaps um mm. there's even these these things that you get in um i believe sainsbury's have them they're, they're plant power and they're tempeh spare ribs and they are bomb they're really really oh good. they're delicious yeah you know, you know the ones in like the <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. yeah in the barbecue sauce and they're, they're like mm. super super good and, and it's literally just tempeh with with um yeah with like a, a flavored sauce and it, it works really well um and i know this one may sound a little a little out of left field but lentils and also mushrooms work really well you know like the, mm. the kind of like big meaty mushrooms like a, like an oyster mushroom or, or something like that can can work really well to replicate that texture of meat uh, lentils work very well in things like bolognese and um mm. you know these kind of like more saucier dishes because they're just a flavor carrier you know people very very rarely eat spaghetti with with meat you know for for the flavor of the meat is typically just a carrier for the for the sauce and the, and the seasoning and, and lentils do a really wicked job of doing that um yeah you can make like a lentil ragu or lentil um yes spaghetti or anything like that it works really well to to pick up those flavors so um yeah definitely couple of yeah it's all about getting like experimental isn't it and like learning from the great you know the chefs and the the cooks who who can share their expertise for sure for sure and um i i really love your point as well about just um just loosening the the reins every once in a while you know if you go out if you go out to a restaurant and you want to get the beyond burger then like treat yourself because if that's something that that you do enjoy and, and it is really going to bring you that that pleasure then that's such an important part of of being healthy as well is being able to have that balance and being able to to eat without that fear of every food having to be super nutrient rich it's um 
it's really good to be able to have that perspective. And this comes from someone that that didn't have that perspective probably for the first couple of years that I was trying to eat healthy. I was, you know, micromanaging a lot of stuff. And now, um, you know, you feel, you feel so much better when every once in a while you can say that I'm going to have that thing that I want and I'm really going to treat myself because, you know, it is about balance. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. So then we have a couple more. Uh, where can I get calcium on a plant-based diet? Um, so calcium is uh, you can get it from majority. Uh, sorry, you can get it from a range of different um, sources. Say like tofu, uh, leafy greens, nuts, seeds, um, tahini especially also is um, really high in uh, calcium and uh, you've got things like okra and cabbage. Um, I think that's also another thing that the PBP, the plant-based pledge, has a page about and an infographic illustrating the foods with um, each quantity of. It sure does, and it's very nicely illustrated as well. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's also another. There's another one actually, which surprises a lot of people. Um, oranges. So. An average orange actually, <laughs> actually has about 5% of your daily calcium requirement. So two, two oranges, that's already 10% of what you need in a day. Cool. So tw 20 oranges a day is the new calcium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't really exactly recommend that, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but also like other things that you may not like think of calcium um, sources would be foods like seaweed and blackstrap molasses so there may be certain foods that may be ingredients um, within uh, your meals or cooking which you don't necessarily think I need a calcium source but it just so happens to add up and yeah, you've got a nice calcium rich meal um, but also there are many things in our modern day uh, plant-based pro life that we have we're so blessed with at the moment is um a lot of plant milks and yogurts are fortified. So um, I know that's a really delicious yogurts, which I like to have you know, some plain, either plain soy yogurt or um, you know, coconut yogurt, and they are fortified with calcium at either the same level of a dairy yogurt, even higher. Um, and some tofus have additional calcium added to it, which is really helpful. Um, and there are also some other um, fortified foods in the UK, I know, um, like brown and white bread. Uh, the flour is fortified by law um, and breakfast cereals as well. Orange sandwiches for all. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> Epitome of health, yeah. <laughs> A couple others I had as well. And, um, figs are actually a really good one. I found I found that out last mm. year. I went on like a, I basically turned into a fig. The amount of figs that I ate. Oh, uh, so delicious! I love them. <laughs> yeah, and actually, well, figs and tahini were like they're both like really calcium rich foods. Like two of my mm. favorite, favorite foods. And and um, oh, it's such a good snack. You dip it in it. Boom! Yeah, they mm. go so well together. So that's a really <laughs> good one. Um, and then the other the other factor that I will add as well is it's not it's not just about calcium. Again, I want to touch on what we spoke about earlier about reducing things down to single nutrients, and you know that, that does have its time and its place. But um, calcium is is also it really heavily relies relies on a lot of other nutrients to be absorbed and be utilised properly. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those is is magnesium. 
um, and maintaining a, a healthy calcium to magnesium ratio is, is really, really important. Uh, typically, they recommend two parts calcium to one part magnesium. Uh, mm. And, you know, making sure you're getting in those magnesium rich foods from, again, things like uh, whole grains, quinoa, um, dark chocolate, pumpkin seeds, these kind of foods are, are really good sources of, of magnesium. Um, and then the other two that, that work in a bit of a, a triangle with calcium are vitamin D3 and vitamin K2. And now these foods, again, they're, they're really important for bone health, which is typically what people think of when it comes to calcium. Obviously, D3 is something that in the winter months should really be supplementing because it's, it's going to be hard to get enough sunlight. Um, and K2 is something that, again, you may want to pay attention to on a plant-based diet. It's, uh, it can be found in fermented foods like natto, um, but typically it can be a little harder to get on a plant-based diet. So what we've done is we made a, a D3 supplement which has K2 in it. So you get those two you know, really essential nutrients that a lot of people are lacking and you get them in a really safe ratio. So that's a good one to check out, you know, just to make mm, sure perfect. people are out that, that calcium ratio. Shameless Definitely. plug. Mm. And also um, sodium can actually also interfere with the uh, calcium absorption. So it's good to be mindful of not overdoing it on sodium, but that's, you know, you don't want to overdo sodium for so many different reasons, but calcium is one of them as well. Cool, okay, well, I didn't know that, so thank you. Yeah, that, that makes mm -hmm. sense as well. So the last one I have here is is maybe a, a little more um, little more in depth of a question is how do I keep mm -hmm. a healthy, healthy omega three omega six ratio? Uh, spoiler alert! I actually added that question because I think it is a question that is not asked enough on a plant based diet. Um, typically, well, actually, I'm going to rewind. It's not asked enough on any diet in general, and and the reason yeah. you know omega six is is um, it's a very healthy essential fatty acid, but many of us do consume too much of it, especially when in ratio with our omega-3. And the reason for that is there's so many great tasting foods that are high in omega-6, uh, typically things like, you know, uh, your nuts and your nut butters can be very, very high in omega-6. And um, obviously then you add on, you know, if you're eating out specifically, or if you're getting more processed foods, then they contain, then they can contain a lot of seed oils like rapeseed oil or sunflower oil, which is super high in omega-6. Um, so obviously reducing those is, is a number one for, for general health and for your omega-6 ratio. But how would you recommend, you know, making sure that you're getting a good omega-3 and omega-6 ratio? And also what is there like a ratio you should be shooting for? Yeah, so um, it's been shown actually that the standard Western diet at the moment um, is, as you said, if we've had weight, we consume way too much of omega-6. And um, so the ratio that everyone's currently, well, supposedly average eating is from uh, one to 16 ratio. So it's for every like one um, omega-6 is like 16, uh, sorry, every one omega-3, 16 <laughs> omega-6. Oh. It confuses my brain with all the, the numbers. But um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, what you want to strive for is um, a ratio of one to four of omega-3 to omega-6. But the standard diet is currently at like 1 to 16. So as I said, we need to aim to try balance out that ratio, bring it back down. And um, so there are some ways to be mindful of this. Is It's not necessarily like you need to just like eat way more omega-3. It's try like meet it in the middle maybe. So you might want to reduce your omega-6 a bit and also increase your omega-3. Um, so as you said, that those those particular oils, 
um, including like soybean oil and corn oil, um, are high in omega-6. So there are particular oils, if you want to cook with oil, there are particular oils, say like coconut oil and olive oil, they are lower in omega-6 compared to those other oils. Um, and as you touched upon, the like, nuts and seeds, um, there are options that are a lot better in their profile. So flax and chia are two seeds that actually have higher omega-3 levels than omega-6, um, whereas most other nuts and seeds actually have higher omega-6. Um, however, walnuts actually have a relatively low ratio of um, omega-3 to 6, so they're, they're, in, the, they're in, the, in the good corner. Um, but it's not, I'm not saying that you can't eat the other things, but it's just more mindful of introducing, you know, flax and chia into your diet and maybe like, don't eat like a jar of peanut butter a day. <laughs> um, and maybe be mindful of if you're not reaching your omega-3 levels, opt for a good omega-3 supplement and uh, Wow, thankfully, Vivo have one. Um, mm. It's a really good, um, a really good supplement because it's got um, a really good ratio of the EPA to DHA um, in it. And so there are, those are some ways in which you can um, bring your ratio of omega-3 to 6 to a really good level. Amazing. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to to emphasize as well that you know omega-6 is not unhealthy in itself in fact it is an essential fatty acid just like omega yeah. and yeah. a lot of the foods that contain omega-6 are super healthy foods you know things like almond mm. uh, pumpkin yeah. seeds like these kind of foods are really really good for us so we definitely shouldn't be cutting them out but again no. just it's just being being mindful of uh, where we are getting you know all, all of our daily fats you know it's not just relying on uh, it's, it's very it's very easy right so you know if if you were to um, have like a, a roughly balanced vegan diet you may have a smoothie in the morning with some peanut butter in it and then you may have a salad with some tahini on it and then you may have like for dinner it, it may be um i don't know maybe like a like a cashew cheese sauce on like a, a vegan mm. pasta or something and you know while these are all really healthy meals in themselves throughout the day that's a lot of omega-6 but not much omega-3 so some good good swaps you can do is like you said, add some flax or some chia to your morning smoothie. Mm. Um, maybe, you know, make that dressing for the salad, maybe add a little bit of olive oil to it or add some avocado or something like that because there are, you know, you want to make sure you're diversifying that fatty acid profile throughout the day. So as well as your omega-6 C, omega C, and omega-3, mm -hmm. uh, it's important to get in those um, monounsaturated fatty, fatty acids as well from things like olive oil and avocado. Um, and a little bit of uh, the saturated fatty acids as well from things like coconut can be can be really good and a great way to just diversify that fatty acid profile. Um, yeah, definitely. But, but yeah, and, and, and again, it's just um, just being mindful. And, and if you're not sure, if, if you're like, well, like I've never heard of omega-3 and omega-6 ratio in my life, like maybe just go on something like chronometer or um, any other uh, nutritional calculator that you look at and just log in the day, day's worth of eating um check how much omega-3 you're consuming compared to your omega-6 and, and use that as a base because if you're if you're already around that four to one point then you're in a really good spot but if you are seeing it you know upwards of eight ten twelve to one then then maybe you want to look at, at bringing that back down again but um yeah nothing yeah, exactly. more to add that was a that was a wicked answer awesome. <laughs> so that i think is all of those questions answered um unless there's 
any specific advice you want to give to anyone who's you know starting out on a new newly on a plant-based diet uh before we go um yeah i just think go easy on yourself take this opportunity as um an exciting time because you're really taking hold of your health you know you're you're taking such a great step and i want you to make sure that you're proud of yourself that you're you're doing this because this not only is great for your health there's so many other benefits to it for the planet and for you know animals so i want you to make sure that you're proud go easy in yourself and um make sure that you're learning and reach out if you need help um the be the life community page um on facebook i know is a really great uh, place to get support from others so if you're struggling with something talk to people about it say like hey i i can't find a an alternative that i like for milks yet or what's your favorite this i would like some recommendations so i think it's really important to have that sense of community and reach out to people because I definitely found when I first went vegan many years ago that um, like making friends and connections within this world of whether it's, you know, health or nutrition or just general food um, as a whole, just the opening up to a new learning experience and connecting, I just think for, for me was really important. So just good luck and you've got this and enjoy hmm. definitely enjoy this this is uh it's definitely a journey to be enjoyed as you embark on it there will be there will be challenges uh there will be times when you're you know craving a certain food that you used to have but it's it's so much fun to experiment and try out new things and and eventually you know this this way of life becomes so normal um yeah nothing to add smashed it lou thank you so much for being <laughs> on the show uh, for people that want to want to connect and want to find you where where can we go um, my Instagram is the Lulu Life, and um, so that's the and then the Lulu is L O U L O U Life. Fantastic, amazing, mm -hmm. Well, Lou, It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure it won't be the last time you're on the show, um, and I hope, listeners, it won't be the last time you're listening to the show either. It's been a pleasure having you with us as always. Any questions, any feedback, please hit me up. It's always welcome, always valued, and uh, yeah. Big love, good luck on this journey, and I will see you again on the next episode.